The Start On Demand. On demand. What were your favorite Christmas toys when you were a kid? You're thinking about this because ESPN released its latest power rankings, and in doing so, they equated every team in the NHL to a toy. The Winnipeg Jets, they deemed weebles because they wobble, but they don't fall down. So that got us thinking about the big toy phenomena over the years, and that got us thinking about Christmas. So what are your favorite Christmas toys? We're also going to tell you about how medical cannabis has changed a Winnipeg woman's life. We'll tee up a one-hour special on Winnipeg's crime wave that's happening on Sunday at 6 p.m. on Global Winnipeg. And the debate on parking in the exchange rages on. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's on vacation back on the 16th. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Friday, December 6th podcast for The Start. So ESPN did something fun and Christmassy for their latest edition of the NHL Power Rankings. They put these out every Thursday. And to have a little bit of fun, they assigned an iconic toy to each team to describe their season so far. Before I give you the Winnipeg Jets, I'll just give you a couple other ones. Uh, How about uh, the St. Louis Blues, they are the Snoopy Snow Cone Machine. Oh, I've always wanted a Snoopy Snow Cone Machine. <laughs> I think we all did. Yeah. Grinding the ice into shavings through brute force rather than battery-operated machinery. Craig Berube would be proud. The Washington Capitals, and eh, don't like this one very much. How about the Boston Bruins, number one oh, in the what, rankings? What was the Washington Capitals? Eh, I don't know. I don't know this one. Uh, official Red Rider Carbon Action 200 Shot Range Model Air Rifle. That's from Christmas Story. Oh, is that where that's from? Yeah. Oh, never mind. That was really good then. Yeah, that's outstanding. <laughs> uh, they were uh, number two, or he's pr- uh, commonly, more commonly known, Alex Ovechkin, you'll shoot the lights out, kid. So there, there you is. go. So that is good. Uh, Boston Bruins, number one, Tickle Me Elmo. Uh, the near year was 1996. It craze swept across the nation. Something known for its adorableness, popularity, and record-breaking numbers. Something that would shake and giggle when you tried to hold him then tickle me elmo now david pasternak and the winnipeg jets they were ranked number 10 last week 10 this week weebles weebles those egg shaped little figures from the 1970s weebles wobble but they don't fall down pretty much sums up the jets still being in a playoff spot Right now, and they sort of did that last night, down 2 nothing, going into the third, tied it up late. They were robbed in overtime, went down 3-2 to two where to are Dallas they? Stars last night. Standings, where are they? They're in third place in the, uh, in the Central Division. Oh, very yeah, good. Looking pretty good, actually, solidly in a playoff spot. Well, so, as solidly as you can be right now. Now, so that got us thinking about the toy phenomenas over the decades, including 1977... If you were around, that was the year we all wanted an empty box for Christmas. What? Play the clip. Oh, I don't have it in front of me, Greg. I'm sorry. Can you play it? I can play the clip. Okay. Star Wars figures. R2-D2. Chewbacca, Luke, and Princess Leia. They're the Star Wars early bird set of figures. These action figures are not yet available, but this Star Wars Early Bird Certificate Package is in stores. With this colorful Star Wars picture display stand and certificate to send in to get a set of figures by mail. They'll be sent to you at home between February 1st and June 1st. The Star Wars Early Bird Certificate Package, new from Kenner. (laughs) Sent you February 1st. To June 1st, wow. your Christmas gift. Good Lord. And these things flew off the shelves. The empty Mill- boxes. Yes, millions of them because people wanted to get their hands on these on these uh, figures, action figures. They were spectacular. George Lucas, say what you will about his filmmaking, particularly the prequels. I know people like to dump on George Lucas for those prequels, the Star Wars episodes 1, 2, and 3. But the man's a genius because the deal that he made in 77, he wanted the merchandise Money. And I think the movie studio said, sure. Take it. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, Thinking that it wouldn't be a big deal. And someone in the newsroom just said, prequels suck. I'm going to guess that's Jeff Braun. But uh, 
George Lucas got the merchandising rights, and that's how he built his empire because Star Wars toys were huge. They were a huge part of my childhood, just massive. We we had more than I care to remember because my mom threw thousands of dollars worth of toys in today's value into the landfill in St. James. Oh, God. Yeah, including my brother got, I think, about 14, 16-inch Chewbacca. Mm-hmm complete with the blaster and his belt across his chest. Fantastic toy. We had it for years and years, but then, of course, the purge comes. And uh, you don't think about, at least we didn't back in the 80s, think about giving those things away. They ended up in the garbage. Tragedy. I sold mine at this, like, little community market at uh, Park City West, uh, just in, like, the, the hockey rink in the middle of summer. They had, like, little tables, so I had this table full of all my toys, and I just sold them all for, I don't know, 50 cents each, a buck each. All my Transformers, all my G.I. Joes, all my toys gone for, I don't know, I don't even remember what Pennies I made. Pennies on the dollar, Brett yeah, McGarry. I wish I'd kept some of that stuff, but I already have enough clutter and junk. Right now, we want to switch gears to some sad news from the Winnipeg Police Service. Revealed yesterday, they lost one of their members. Banner, a police service dog who specialized in tracking and tactical support work and had an incredible career serving the community. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham spoke to Constable Jay Murray yesterday afternoon on the news on 680 CJOB. Oh, where to begin? Banner, there's just so many accolades. Banner was incredibly hardworking and, and really had the respect of, of a lot of officers that worked the streets. Um, Justin Cassavant, his handler, and Banner, uh, they worked very hard together and were responsible for, for over 200 uh, tracking arrests. Um, they're involved in a number of, of high-profile incidents. One of them is the arrest of, of Brian Thomas. He's, he was later convicted of the murder of uh, Irvine Fraser. And they also worked with their tactical support team. So Banner was often involved in, in a lot of high-risk operations where um, the tactical support team was, was approaching a house where there might be weapons inside and um, did a lot of great work. Amazingly, Banner helped get two arrests in the bag less than 24 hours before he died. It was incredibly hardworking. Um, Banner, probably in the midst, I'm sure he probably wasn't feeling himself uh, during that shift, but still managed to track from a stolen vehicle and, and help us arrest two individuals, and I think that's very impressive. Now, Banner came from a breeding program. He was born in May 2013 and has been with the police ever since, entering duty a year later. And someone who works in the area described as follows on social media. Fast forward an hour or so, and tons of other police cars show up at the vet and are parked all around the building. A bunch of officers get out of their cars and are standing at the door to meet the handler, who is walking out with a large box. The handler loads the box into the back of the canine unit vehicle, and everyone appears to be crying and hugging. It's clear at this point that the police canine has passed away. The officers stand around and console each other for a while, and everyone gets back into their cruisers. The canine unit handler pulls out of the parking lot and puts on his lights, and every other cruiser turns on their lights as well and they follow the canine unit vehicle slowly down the street, about 10 to 15 cars. This dog had aggressive cancer, and that's what happens with dogs, right? I mean, I, I remember I used to, to house-sit and take care of a dog named Norman, called him Stormin' Norman, and one day he just didn't want to come up the steps, three stairs. I took him for a walk. He just would he just plop down. Turns out he had lymphoma, and he was gone within a week. It just happened so fast. So... Constable Jay Murray commented on that impromptu honor guard. Yeah, and again, this speaks to the impact that Banner had on so many officers. A lot of them recognized the hard work that that dog uh, provided uh, the police service and wanted to extend that courtesy back and send off Banner appropriately. So this was an impromptu uh, procession. Uh, It's not something that's planned. It's not something that is formalized. Um, But I think it just goes to show the, the amount of the respect that those officers wanted to pay Banner um, as a thank you for everything that Banner has done for the Winnipeg Police Service. Now, I know you, they use the word handler, Brett, mm-hmm. but these canines, these dogs, and their, quote, handlers are partners. Mm-hmm. I'm friends with someone who's in the canine unit, and they are a member of the family. They live with the officers. They are an integral part of one another's life. And the Winnipeg Police Service released a stave statement regarding PSD Banner from its handler, partner, Constable Justin Kazavant. Police service dog PSD Banner was a dual-purpose canine with specialties in tracking and tactical support work. He had more than 200 tracking arrests 
including the arrest of Brian Thomas, who was convicted of the murder of Winnipeg Transit driver Irvin Fraser. He also took part in hundreds of high-risk operations with members of the tactical support team. Less than 24 hours prior to his passing on what turned out to be his last official shift, PSD Banner tracked a stolen vehicle to a residence which led to the arrest of two individuals. Banner started showing symptoms of being ill on Tuesday and was taken to a veterinary hospital on Wednesday morning. It was determined that he had aggressive cancer that was causing him to deteriorate rapidly. It was a great ride that ended way too soon. We wore our hearts on our sleeves and left it all out on the streets. My wife and I would like to thank everyone for all the support we've received. We'd also like to acknowledge Bridgewater Veterinary Hospital for the care they provided and thank retired Sergeant Dave Bessenson and Constable Dennis Robert for training and developing myself and Banner, Constable Justin Casavant. Badge 2380. And I just, uh, when I was putting this together earlier this morning, I was getting emotional thinking about this. And I've never met Banner, but, you know, these dogs, as Jay Murray said, they are bred into the force. That's right. These dogs don't choose to be police officers. They are born to be police officers. And they, you know, dogs are so great. They just, they, they serve and they are incredible animals. And uh, condolences to Constable Justin Cassavant and the Winnipeg Police Service for losing what was an incredible member of the service and an incredible member of this community. They do work that we just got a little bit, a tiny taste of in that statement that we just shared with you. Uh, the work that the canine unit does in our city uh, largely goes unacknowledged and uh Condolences to everyone who who knew Banner, who worked with him, worked alongside him. Uh, our thoughts are with you today. ESPN revealed their latest power rankings, equating every NHL team to a holiday toy. The Winnipeg Jets come in at number 10 as Weebles, those egg-shaped little figures from the <laughs> 1970s. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Pretty much sums up the Jets still being in a playoff spot right now. So that got Greg thinking, hey, what was your favorite Christmas toy? Your favorite toy phenomenon? So Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Fortier is here. And I, I feel like this is a perfect segment for Jeff Braun to go after Kelly Moore. Am I wrong? Oh, I would I hadn't even occurred to, to me because he's not here. <laughs> right liar. beside me. A liar. So what was it, Kelly? Like a stick in a rock? <laughs> See, you just had to do it, didn't you, McGarry? Huh? Yeah. It's minus 17 highs tomorrow, but no. Uh, you know, I, I and, and it's kind of funny because when I saw you guys put out the note this morning about what we were going to talk about, I thought, oh man, it has been so long. So can I maybe change the rule a little bit? And and uh, for me, it was the great hunt for the Cabbage Patch doll for uh, our oldest daughter back in the day. Um, these things were the rage. You couldn't find them anywhere. And when I did finally find one, I kind of elbowed an elderly lady. <laughs> out of the way like Seinfeld with the rye bread. Very much the same way. <laughs> wow. Give me <that> old bag. <laughs> but you got it? You got the toy? I was able to get the toy. Wow. I, I didn't. I didn't feel good about it until Christmas morning, but yeah, it's not you one of my You didn't feel about it, good about it until Christmas morning? Well, because then my daughter was so happy that I felt good about it. It made it worth it, but up until then, there was much guilt. We have a text message here at 204-780-6868 from somebody who sent, uh, I believe these, yeah, those. that's a Cobra symbol, a bunch of G.I. Joe toys uh, mounted on a shelf, and they say it cost me $1,000 to get back. So I guess these were their toys they had as a child, got rid of them, of course, and then over time said, you know what, I need those things back, and they were able to track them down, but whew, cost a pretty penny, but good for you for getting a piece of your childhood back. Jeff Bronner, what about you? What was your toy? You know, well, actually, I, I'm 
going to ask my parents about the Cabbage Patch Kids because we did get them when we were kids, my sister and I. So I, I wonder if they have a similar story to Kelly. I, although I think we may have got ours like two years after the fad started or whatever, when they were in plentiful supply maybe. But for <laughs> Those me... Those were lettuce patch kids too, <laughs> by the right. way. <laughs> Homemade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, one, the present I was always most excited about was in uh, Christmas of 84, I got uh, Transformer. I got uh, Thundercracker, one of the planes. It was just the best toy ever. Nice. And actually, that was kind of... I, the couch potatoes are on the same wavelength here because for me... Megatron must be stopped no matter the cost. So that was Optimus Prime. You got oh. the touch. Sorry, I had to let that music play out there for a second. That was Optimus Prime. I got him, I think, for my birthday. But I remember when I was in grade two, I got Megatron Ooh. for Christmas. And I was so excited until I realized how hard he was to transform. Thank goodness you said that, because I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, I can't stand Transformers, because I'm too old to have had the Transformer toys as a kid, and whenever my kids get them now, I want to hide them, because they're impossible to put back together. Whatever, like, if you get them into the robot or whatever they are, the... Is that what they are? Yeah. Essentially robots. Yep. Robots in disguise. Oh, yeah. See? I don't even as, know the secret cars and trucks code. And stuff. Or a gun, I guess, is what Megatron was. Yeah. Right? yeah. Put them back together to whatever yeah. vehicle they're supposed to be. It's it's not easy. Also, just as a sidebar, hilarious toy for a child. He transforms into a handgun. <laughs> yes. And then a sniper rifle. Great. Wow. <laughs> Outstanding. Made That's in America. <laughs> uh, what about you, Forte? You know what? I was, it's not really a toy. It's more, well, it's cardboard boxes. <laughs> Give me cardboard. Are you a cat? <laughs> yeah, I would make cardboard box forts. And then uh, there was one time when I had some friends over, and I don't know who it was, but we had our soccer cleats on. We were just outside. We go inside the cardboard box fort, and uh, somebody had stepped in dog poo. Oh, no. <laughs> so we, it turned to a poo fort. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know what, though? There, that's uh, there's something you said for that. How many times have you, when you pulled the toy out of the box, you played with the box? That's true. And it makes sense, Jeff. Forte. It makes absolute sense. Oh. Sorry about the pun Fort. there. Oh, McNabb. Hey. McNabb. I was channeling my inner Loren McNabb. His new nickname like is Poofort. Poofort. Hey, Poofort. We got 60 <laughs> seconds. Greg, what was the toy for you? Well, it was the year that uh, Tickle Me Elmo came out. I was living in Vernon, BC at the time, and I just had a sense that this thing was going to take off, and I bought like three of them. Oh. And I had them in stock, and I let certain people in my life that needed one buy one from me at a little bit of a profit for myself. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, okay. That's How much it. of a profit? I'm not saying. Uh, CRA <laughs> might be listening. And uh, and also, I think I have one or two Furbies hiding somewhere, just in oh, case they to decide to come out. back. They creep you out? Yeah, I don't know. They're just weird looking. So, Greg, what's the new toy this year that you've been hoarding? If you're, uh, you're you've... Turbo Man, uh, is that is that the <laughs> toy you, from Jingle get, All the Way? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Did you get the Baby Yoda? No, my kids there are too none. old for the there, baby. No, there are baby. toys. Oh, they that, are getting it out now? Yeah, the, the toys are, the merchandise as of uh, a couple of days ago is now available for pre-order. There's going to be a child or baby Yoda official Funko Pop. And I believe there's going to be some other things available as well. We want to talk about toys. What's your, what was your favorite Christmas toy when you were a kid? Call us at 204-780-6868. Denny has sent a picture which just... Seeing this picture gave me heart palpitations. Okay. He says... Oh my, no, no, no. Yeah. For several years in a row, I received a new Rubik's Cube, never any different from the previous one, and I never did memorize the formula for solving it, but that, it's not that's not the picture he sent. As a side note, do you remember an odd thing that hit the scene a little later, maybe 1986 or so, called Rubik's Magic Puzzle? I got one of those, too. Equally as fascinating and frustrating as the cube. So this was a flat thing. It, I think its original shape was like a rectangle. I think you're right. But uh, I, and maybe they came in different shapes or maybe you could form it into different shapes but you basically had to flip these tiles. It had one, two, eight tiles on it and you had to flip them into a various shape and get these three rings to connect and I could never do it. I, was, I never did solve the Rubik's Cube. I could never do that. My buddy Kent, his boy Elliot is a cubing machine. He's got like five-sided, or no, um, Rubik's Cubes with, like, rows of five tiles instead of, what is it? Typical cube is just Nine three. by nine? 
Nine by nine? Okay, yeah. Not squares, right? Yeah, so nine squares on each side. Nine squares on each side. So then he's got one with 25 squares. Good Lord. On each side. Oh, and my word. And he solves them like lickety split. He goes, I think they actually went to some sort of cubing convention. He's got just dozens of them. Have you seen the guy? There's a video out on social media right now. He's got three Rubik's Cubes, and he solves them as he's juggling them. Come on. I'm not even kidding, man. Lots of great text messages on this. Uh, One of our listeners sent a picture with this. I still have two dolls from my childhood, Baby Magic and Kissy. Kissy got me through a serious illness in the hospital. I have them both today in mint condition, and they are over 55 years old. That from Kathy. Call us at 204-780-6868 if you want to weigh in. Tell us what your favorite Christmas toy was. We'd love to hear your voice. I know we don't normally do that this early in the morning, but if you want to weigh in, call us right now. Good morning from Tim. When I was about eight, I got a Johnny 7. Johnny 7! Which was a 7-in-1 Army-style gun, and I played with it for years. Parents must have been thrilled with that. How many toys did you get, Greg, where you played with it once or twice and never touched it again? I know I'm guilty as charged with that. 100%. And uh, this might have been one, actually. I'm going to play a clip. Some of us are going to remember this one. little kung fu going on here. Yeah. G.I. Joe with Kung Fu Grip. G.I. Joe with Kung Fu Grip. Wow. Yes, it was an action figure. He had his fingers would interlock and he do different things. And yeah, it was way better on the ad than it was in real life. Let's put it that way. Roberto is at 204-780-6868. Good morning, Roberto. Good morning, boys. How you doing? Not too bad. How about you guys? Good. What was your favorite toy? Uh, well, technically it wasn't mine, but my brother got the Technodrome from uh, Ninja Turtles, so I took that over as soon as he got it. The Technodrome! My God, how big was it? Uh, to, when I was a little kid, it felt like the size of a house, but I'm sure it was only a foot high. That's an impressive gift, and I can understand why you took it over. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, the Ninja Turtles, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Remember their theme God, song? I love them. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Turtles in a Half Shell. Turtle Power. Oh, is it Ninjas in the... It's Heroes in a Half Shell. Oh, dang. Roberto, why don't you do the tag for us? Uh, shoot, I don't know, man. No, it was it was Heroes in a Half Shell. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what followed that? What followed that? Turtle Power. There it is. Roberto, All thank right. you very much, man. We appreciate the call. The Technodrome at 204-780-6868. Forche, you know the one we're talking about, the toy with the great commercial. Oh, here we are. Who walks the stair without a care and makes the happiest sound. Bounce up and down just like you know what, a clown. This is Rina Bill. Oh, yeah. The best yeah, of course. You or get the favorite all over town. The hit of the day when you're ready to play. Everyone knows it's Slinky. It's Slinky. It's Slinky. It's Slinky. It's Slinky. It's Slinky. The favorite of girls and boys. I always preferred log. It's log. It's log. It's fun for a girl and a boy. That's from Ren and Stimpy. I actually have a slinky that I, I when I'm sitting really? on my couch, I kind of use it like a yo-yo. I just sort of bounce it up and down. And then I actually would, I would spin it around, but then I got it all tangled up a couple of years ago. Of course you did. So I had to go buy a new one. I was going to say, I've never owned a slinky that hasn't been like destroyed. Yeah. That just gets all mashed up. and. I've got a piece of metal here. It's a cast-off from something else I've made. How can I turn this into a multi-billion dollar enterprise? Oh, I'll just coil it up and see if it'll walk downstairs. And there you have Slinky. Well, one what? of our listeners said that was their favorite toy. That was, that was, uh, that was one of our listeners, Pat, this morning. Well, I was going to say, wasn't there such thing as pet rocks where... Oh, yes. Just a rock? Pet rock, yep. Oh, and here's someone for you, Forte. When I was seven, my parents bought a new fridge for Christmas. I had the box it came in for like eight months, even used it as a car <laughs> and went downstairs in it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we used to go to stores uh, and ask them, hey, do you have any empty fridge boxes or big boxes? So, yeah, then make forts out of them. Well, let us know at 204-780-6868. What were your favorite Christmas toys when you were growing up as a kid? I mentioned for me, Megatron was a big one. I got some amazing G.I. Joe toys. I think the Nintendo Entertainment System, though, was the the thing that ultimately replaced toys for me. When I got the Nintendo video games, 
that was the the new thing for me. One so, of our listeners saying the six million dollar man doll. Oh yeah, when you actually held up. Steve Austin's head, you could look through the back of his head and it had a bionic eye. It was like a magnifying glass inside. It was kind of cool. Oh, that's cool, but also creepy that he's got a hole in the back of his head. Yeah, yeah just like a peephole in a door. <laughs> and uh, one more text. My husband decided he wanted to get our daughter a Cabbage Patch doll, but waited until December 23rd to go shopping. Uh-oh. Ended up with a male doll called Harvey George. Raised a lot of eyebrows. Was hard to find clothes for, but it was around for years. Right now we're going to talk about parking. Yeah, yesterday morning, uh, City Councilor Scott Gillingham told to start improvements to pedestrian safety across the city are under review, including a specific look at the pedestrian crosswalk at Ness Avenue and Woodlawn Street, right across from the St. James Civic Centre. This in the wake of an incident which saw two teens rush to hospital after being struck by a car Wednesday morning. There have been four vehicle pedestrian incidents at that intersection since 1999. Fortunately, none of those crashes, including Wednesday's incident, were fatal. Gillingham said a report on a five-year road safety plan will come to council next year hopefully with potential improvements that could prevent these types of incidents. One of the questions we had for the councillor yesterday had to do with the resident's concern about that exact location and parking. How long ago was that, and what did you do with that uh, with that email at the time? That, yeah, that, I appreciate the the uh, the resident getting a hold of uh, my office. Uh, he reached out mid October. Um, within twenty four hours, we had taken that information, that request, and sent it off to our public works department and asked them to look into things. Now, that was right around the time, of course, when all of our public works staff and a lot of other city staff were full on responding to the the storm cleanup. Um, so we we checked back yesterday. We haven't got a response yet uh, as to uh, to looking at that. The the residents' uh, request was specific to cars parked on on a side street uh, close to that intersection. I've, of course, we have no idea if that played something like that played any role into this incident. We're still waiting on the on the police report. How long does it take to have a suggestion from the public, either dismissed or see it through to a genuine review? It, it all it it all depends. I mean, probably not the answer you want to hear, but it all depends on on what the request is, what we're what we're looking at. You know, as I said, middle of October, all of our public work staff were were you know full on into cleanup mode uh, after after the after the storm. But this this suggestion is being looked at. That suggestion was to restrict parking on Woodlawn uh, without getting into too many details. It's something that would clear up that intersection because it's very busy at certain times of the day. And Brett? Yes? Get this. I received a phone call from Councillor Gillingham late yesterday informing me that Public Works will be making that change ASAP. Action from City Hall. Hip, hip, huzzah. (laughs) There we go. Maybe Councillor Gillingham can get involved in what's happening in one part of the downtown. Last week we told you about frustration in the Exchange District. Over parking restrictions, parking rates, bike lanes, and the viability of businesses in what has become a prime location for independent business in our city. Abi Khan is a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber and successful entrepreneur. He has been one of the voices asking for common sense and a conversation with the mayor. Has that happened yet? Unfortunately, I have not heard from the mayor, no, or his team. Uh, I am been told that the mayor and his team have followed up with the Exchange Biz uh, David Pinsetto there, but this was not an exchange biz led petition. This was a petition led by local businesses in the exchange that we went around myself, Mike and Nick who own restaurants in the exchange went around and got petitions signed and people activated. And unfortunately, no, I have not heard from the mayor or Jason or anyone Amy. other than uh, one city council I've heard from. Amy Sire owns Community Gym, and she says her clients are, are facing huge challenges with parking. We just opened uh, May 22nd this past year, so we've been open for just over six months. Um, actually, it's been quite great for us. Um, when I decided to open a business, I knew I wanted it to be downtown. Um, some issues that we run into isn't so much... Uh, the, the same issues that everyone's running into is that we have people coming at different hours of the day. So, for example, uh, we have classes that run at 6 a.m. Well, there's snow routes across all of the exchange, and many of my clients receive tickets 
early 6 a.m. morning on December 2nd when there was actually no snow. So there's little things like that that end up happening where people aren't looking at decisions based on business in the exchange that uh, that become problematic for us to run businesses. It ends up having to be a handout book that you need to give your clients on where they can park, where they can, when they can't, and it becomes very complex. As they did last week, Richard and Julie welcomed Dobby and Amy to the news to discuss the disconnect between business, policy, vision, and implementation of various improvements meant to make things better for everyone. On their behalf, Global News asked city councillors for their advice and reaction. When they jacked up the parking rates to $3.50 an hour, uh, they really caused a huge problem and people don't want to pay that kind of money to park. Uh, Councillor Santos, who has the exchange district in her area, the first thing we think is doable is to get that $0.50 an hour off of the parking rates. Councillor Brian Mays is a member of the mayor's inner circle known as Executive Policy Committee. He was asked about taking away some of those bike lanes. Never say never is probably a better statement. I I have no interest in getting into that whole debate on the fly. We'll take a look at it. In trying to get more people to cycle, you don't want to have the uh, adverse effect of killing the golden goose of of the exchange. So we got to sit down and see what we can do. So we heard from Ross Eady, and then that was the voice of Brian Mays on the other side of Global News with Jeff Braun. We will get Amy and Aubie's reaction to those words from those two city councillors. Now, you also said there was a good text message that you wanted to read at 204-780-6868. Parking in the exchange. I'm from out of town. I thought I'd take my wife out to Cebo Restaurant for a date. That's by the Mir Hotel out in the old pump house out on the river. Beautiful spot. We got a ticket. Because they drove in and parked instead of backing in and parking, probably on Bannatine, I'm guessing, in one of those back-in angle parking spots that I'm a fan of. While I realize it was my fault for not seeing the little sign, I'm not used to downtown, so I take responsibility. But I was parked. I was safe. I paid to be there. I was contributing to our provinces and city's economy, and then I got a $50 ticket. Nothing says, stay away like bureaucracy. Thank you, City Hall. Wow. Increased parking rates, bike lanes on busy streets, and lack of communication about future planning have exchanged district businesses asking the city for change. Former Blue Bomber and Shawarma Khan restaurant owner Abi Khan says many are reporting 20 to 30% decreases in business, and he's personally lost, he says, six figures since losing street parking Whoa. across from his McDermott Avenue restaurant two years ago. Last week, Khan joined Rich and Julie on the news to tell us about a letter presented to Winnipeg's mayor and council last week. The group calls for an end to one-off interventions around parking, transportation, construction, or development in the exchange until a comprehensive plan is created. They also want parking prices to drop from three fifty to two fifty in the area and to see recent street changes reversed. Khan joined us again yesterday to tell us that his phone is on. Unfortunately, I have not heard from the mayor, no, or his team. Uh, I am been told that the mayor and his team have followed up with the exchange biz, uh, David Pinsetto there, but this was not an exchange biz-led Petition. This was a petition led by local businesses in the exchange that we went around, myself, Mike, and Nick, who own restaurants in the exchange, went around and got petitions signed and people activated. And unfortunately, no, I have not heard from the mayor or Jason or anyone other than uh, one city council I've heard from. Councillor Brian Mays was asked if the bike lanes in the exchange could disappear based on the concerns raised. Never say never is probably a better statement. I, I have no interest in getting into that whole debate on the fly. We'll take a look at it. In trying to get more people to cycle, you don't want to have the uh, adverse effect of killing the golden goose of of the exchange. So we got to sit down and see what we can do. Con and Amy Sire, who owns Community Gym in the exchange, had this reaction to May's comments. They literally added bike lanes and infrastructure on the fly, and they just did it a couple months ago with putting a loading zone in front of across the board. No consultation, they just did it. Parking rates were done at the 11th hour, literally, and I think 10 minutes at city council. They said, we need more money. Let's increase the rates by another 50 cents. So I think that's completely, uh, it's a lie. It's, it's, it's politics at its best, right? They want to save face in front of the camera, in front of the radio. They're going to say what they want to say. But the reality is 
The decisions they made impulsively are killing business, and we as business owners just want a response and a plan. And we, it's been nine days, and we haven't had any communication with other than Vivian Santos, to her credit, has reached out to me a dozen times already asking, what can we do, what can we do? And she is proposing this 50-cent reduction. My reply to her was, it's not just a matter of the 50-cent reduction. It's, mm. again, our number one point is, what is the master plan? Yeah. It's not get rid of bike lanes. It's not reduced parking rates. It's what is the plan in general for the exchange? Yeah, like going on record, like I'm a cyclist. I biked to work to the exchange all all summer. Like, it, like that's what I do. So as a driver, as a cyclist, as a business owner, like there, it just seemed like they just plopped cycling lanes in there. And it like businesses in the exchange, they're not against bike lanes. They're they're integral. But when we look to other cities like Calgary, who also has a comparable car structure, weather, things like that, they didn't go in and put in permanent bike lanes piecemeal. They took an entire network and they put it into the city and were able to move it. It didn't cost tons of money. And within those 18 months, they did tiny research research statements and had over 100 changes to those bike lanes that they can make it implement and then implemented it. And they were more like pilot projects versus just coming in, plopping in bike lanes, not looking at the overall impact and the overall plan. Councillor Mays was on the news after Siren Con and took a second crack at responding to their concerns. It's a serious issue. Um, if I had a solution, I'd tell you right now. I don't have an easy solution. I'll take a look at what Edie and Santos are, are coming up with and uh, we'll take it from there. Last word to the business owners and a pledge from our own Richard Cloutier. The health of a city is determined by its downtown core. Mm-hmm. Everyone says it over and over again. The economy of a city is based on small businesses. We say that over and over again. 80% mm-hmm. of jobs are based on small businesses. Small businesses are the ones saying we need help. And yet for some reason, I've only had one council reach out to us and everyone else is making comments to the media, rated, but no one's saying, what are we going to do? What is the plan? Again, I ask the mayor and council, what is the plan to make this city awesome like Amy and myself who invested our money, our time, our soul into the city? We're not letting go of this story. No, I appreciate you having us on again. Yes. We'll bring you back in a week to see what has happened. And if we have to, the week after that. And if we have to, the week after that. Are the changes in parking rates, parking period, and the additional bike infrastructure deterring you from going to the exchange? We're already getting a ton of text messages on this. We want to keep them coming. 204-780-6868. Just read this one quickly. Hi, guys. I stopped frequenting the exchange in Osborne due to the parking. There just isn't anything there that I want the hassle to go to. Those are the last places I would open a business. The city has their head up their backsides on this, as usual. Right now, Greg, we want to preview what's happening on Global Winnipeg this Sunday at 6 p.m., a one-hour special on our crime wave. Yeah, as you may have been noticing, uh, not only here on 680 CGB, but on Global News, reporters have been focusing on various topics. And now will share with us throughout the day what will be consolidated into a single, solitary, one-stop shopping for these stories. Lisa Dutton will host and Brittany Greenslade, uh, Global Television, joining us now. Good morning, Brittany. Good morning. This has uh, been a, a huge task, a huge job, but but ultimately quite necessary. Why do you, Why do we go down this road? Because we think it's important that people really get an understanding of what's happening in our city. We see a lot of the the crimes happening. We see the violent crime. We hear it from police. But we also wanted to dig deeper and investigate into why it's happening and what some of the bigger issues are. Uh, We've been talking for years about meth and this meth crisis that's happening in the city right now. And we've heard from police, we've heard from experts, but the one thing we, we, we keep hearing over and over again is that it's not necessarily just the people that are maybe vulnerable and living on the streets that are doing this. It's not uh, necessarily all, always somebody that's violent that is on meth. That's what we hear because often that's what comes to the news because there's something that happens and it is precipitated through that through police. But we're hearing from experts, we're hearing from police that it is everybody. It is everybody in every corner of the city. You may not even know it. It could be somebody sitting next to you. And so we wanted to go out and find some of those, you know, so-called unexpected users, somebody that you wouldn't think was using meth. And we talked to a, a gentleman named Mario Chapu, who tried meth for the very first time at 51 years old. And I want you guys to hear a little bit from him. 
it got me. It's surprised that it even got me. I don't even comprehend how this happened. I mean, I know it happened. I know the story. I was there, but I'm going, wow. Like, how did this happen to me? I really don't know either. It could be anybody. Like, it really is. You cannot tell. And it, you really don't know a person's mental state and what they've gone through. And sometimes it's just, for me, it was just too much. It took 51 years, but I'm going, wow, 51 years. Is he still doing it? He is not. He did it for five years, and then he actually was in a car crash, uh, ran through a stop sign, ended up in the hospital. Mario, at 51, uh, married two adult children, seemingly looked like he was living a really wonderful life. Uh, he was a former microbiologist, a high school teacher teaching math and science. Um, not somebody you think of when you think of a meth user. Uh, his wife was dealing with MS, so she had a chronic disease, and it all just became overwhelming for him. Um, so this really is hitting every corner of our city. And the one thing we keep hearing is it's not necessarily a meth crisis, and this was new that I heard. It's a crisis of coping. Well, you know, we've heard the conversations and the idea that the, the meth high, and uh, this is not a commercial for meth by any stretch of the imagination, but we hear it time and time again that the, the first time you try it, that high is incomparable, and then you're chasing that high relentlessly, and it's never quite the same again. And I think that that's part of the discussion. I know I'm having it with my kids, Brittany, the idea of you just can't try it. There's some things that you can try once, and we can have a conversation about it, but this is just one drug and you hear it from police, you hear it from doctors, you hear it from fire and paramedic, you hear it from users. You can get hooked on it the first time you try it. We heard it from Mario and we actually spoke to a former meth dealer as well in this investigation and just him talking about how easy it is to get, how easy it is to move, and how cheap it is, and just how much there is in our city. And, and you know, RCMP made a big bust uh, just within the past 48 hours, uh, what could possibly be the largest mess seizure in Manitoba. So there is work being done, uh, but there's still a long way to go. And another big crime story that we've been talking about a lot in recent weeks and months is the Liquor Mart situation, Brittany. Yeah, we talked to Randy Chase, who was the Tyndall Park uh, employee who was punched and ended up in the hospital. So we spoke to her. So you'll hear a little bit of, of her words and, and just the difficulties that she's going through. But one of the things that we really wanted to dive deeper into is where are the arrests being made? Who is being arrested? And following this through the court process, uh, we went and listened uh, to recordings from um, different court um, sittings and sentencings. We looked through court documents. We spoke to police. They know who the prolific offenders are. We got a list of seven. Uh, they know who they're offending with time and time again. Um, one of the court documents we found was a 22-year-old who started drinking at the age of 11. He had just completed a nine-month sentence for 71 liquor thefts. Three days later, he was out and arrested for the exact same crime in November, sentenced to another 45 days. It comes down for a lot of these uh, offenders to, who are struggling with alcohol abuse. Um, we know it's been difficult to get numbers from liquor and lotteries, but they're saying more than 450 people have been arrested since this escalation started in 2010. And when we talk about those prolific offenders, police know who they are. And I think one of the most shocking uh, quotes that I heard throughout this whole thing came from Chief Danny Smythe. Our investigators you know, have a queue of people that they could arrest on a on a daily or weekly basis that we just simply don't have the time to get out to. So it's almost become arrest by appointment here. Uh, we, we know uh, the people we need to pick up. It, it's just a question of getting to it now. Wow. I've had an officer tell me that I could have my house broken into last night. I may know exactly who did it. It might be weeks before they could go out and arrest them. Really? Yes. When Green. we talk about these prolific offenders, we should say that uh, some of the ones that are, are very well known to police, three of them are going to be in court this December. So we're going to be following those cases as well and bringing that information to all of our listeners and viewers. Shoppers Drug Mart recently reached out to us to tell us that they are expanding medical cannabis by shoppers to Manitoba. 
It's going to provide patients with a single source for their cannabis therapy needs. 1.1 million Canadians, over 1.1 million Canadians use cannabis for medical purposes. But new statistics Canada research shows more than 800,000 patients are self-medicating with recreational or illegal cannabis without the guidance of a healthcare professional. And they have introduced us to Ashley Brown, who joins us now live in studio and... Just the Cole's notes here, Ashley. First of all, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for having me on this morning. So you lost your driver's license, you lost your job, your spouse, and ultimately your ability to be a normal mom after you started having 150 to 180 seizures a month. So what was causing these seizures? Um, that's still really a good question. I started having seizures after my youngest daughter was born in 2009. And, um, as you mentioned, it was life altering. So, um, although I had really excellent doctors and great care, they reached a point where they really couldn't give me more answers. We were using, you know, some medications and some anticonvulsants to, you know, try and taper off some of the larger seizures, but I was still experiencing you know, life-altering episodes every day, and my quality of life really declined. So they didn't have a lot of answers for me. How frightening is it? Because I'm listening to your story and I'm thinking, to this day, they don't know what genuinely caused your situation, yet they're prescribing synthetic drugs for you to take. Some of them are working, some of them are not, versus what you ended up using, which all the proponents say, because of its natural origins, is the way to go. So let's talk about how medical marijuana has changed things. And if you want to comment on the idea of this versus synthetic drugs, I'd love to hear from you on it. Well, yeah, I'd love to share my perspective. I think it's difficult with cannabis because um, a lot of what we hear is either folklore or it's speculative. And then there is some really amazing, you know, fact-based research showing us how powerful this this medicine can be for people. In my case, I continue to take pharmaceutical drugs alongside cannabis. It's been an excellent adjunct therapy for me. So it really has been about adding it to my toolbox for a lot of people, it allows them to reduce or eliminate other medications that they may find have a lot of side effects. In my case, it has been something that has actually allowed me to lower my dose and manage the side effects, but also seems to boost the efficacy and success I have managing seizures. I'm still having about 15 to 20 seizures a month, um, so I'm by no means cured, but obviously my quality of life has dramatically improved. So how did you come about adding medical cannabis to your toolbox? Who suggested that to you? Uh, in 2016, a really good friend of me approached a really good friend of mine approached me, and she um, herself was a patient. She was treating Lyme disease, and she had a vial of CBD oil. And she said, "I'd really like you to try this." And I said, "Well, you know, we've been friends since college. I've smoked pot. You know, we've gotten high and gone to the zoo and watched the bison, um, but I don't see it as a medicine necessarily. I don't think it's ever helped my seizures." And she. She looked at me very sincerely and said, you know, this is medical cannabis. It's different. Please, you know, just give it a try. And so that day in 2016, I took this medicine and thought, well, what do I have to lose? And for the first time in seven years, I was seizure-free for more than 24 hours. We've learned so much over the last several years about the changing roles that pharmacists have in terms of delivering medical care in the community, that consultative ability, that opportunity to speak one-on-one with someone and say, hey, I'm taking this, and for them to compare what you're taking because just because you're taking marijuana and it's a natural product doesn't mean there can't be adverse interactions with some of the other drugs you're, you're taking, correct? Absolutely correct. And that's something that as a patient in 2016, I really didn't have a lot of guidance. So, you know, you're on other medications that potentially could interact. You're trying to dose and medicate yourself, you know, using you're medical doing it cannabis. On the, you're doing it on the down low, right? Well, you don't right. want to necessarily admit to anybody that you're doing it. Right. And for me, it was building up the courage to get a medical authorization because I wanted to do it right. I, I wanted to not be doing it on the down low anymore because I wanted access to, you know, safe, regulated product because I'm using this to treat, you know, a life altering illness. And my doctor was not comfortable authorizing. So I went to a cannabis clinic, but you know, they didn't have a lot of guidance either. There was certainly no discussion about contraindications or other medications. And I can say that, you know, now in 2019, 
you know, with the addition of groups like Shoppers Drug Mart, that's giving us that full continuity of care that we were missing. And so many patients really are finding success because they're able to manage and navigate going off of other medications. They're able to talk about drug interactions and that increased access is making it safer. So being able to get it from a safe and regulated place, being able to authorize, you know, for people to use it medically and talk about it with their doctors now is is making the dis- difference between success and failure for people with medical cannabis. It's not an easy road to navigate on your own. Ashley Brown is our guest. She is talking about medical cannabis as medical cannabis by shoppers is expanding to Manitoba. You mentioned that medical cannabis is different than recreational. How is it different? Well, I In theory, uh, it's different. The plant itself is the same. So that's a really important uh, distinction to make is that cannabis is cannabis. However, when you're treating medical you know, conditions, the, the most important thing is to understand what you're getting and, and how you're going to be dosing. So whereas someone recreationally may choose to go without, for medical purposes, you want to understand any contraindications with other medicines. You want to look at how much you're dosing and how frequently you're taking it and what the potential side effects could be because you are targeting specific symptoms or illnesses. Brett has mentioned it. I have been to my first uh, marijuana store cannabis store. Uh, I'm not anybody that's ever tried it. I'm fascinated by what cannabis can do for us. Uh, I've got someone in my family who benefits this uh, from this greatly. And just this whole idea of knowing exactly, you know, we're so label conscious these days of, and ingredients, what's in whatever it is we're consuming, whether it's beverages, whether it's food, and to be able to, and and this is, is this in your mind a hopefully, or do you trust the fact that on the label, this is the level of THC, this is the level of, of CBD, and, and this is the prescribed effect of this particular strain of cannabis uh, versus maybe a little bit of trial and error. There's, there's got to be a, a sense of, of trust there. On your part? I I think legalization has brought us to a new level of transparency, and it's one we see on the medical side all the time. So I think the the big thing is that now everyone has access to a safe and regulated product. And the biggest thing would be that, unfortunately, in the recreational dispensaries, they can't talk about medical benefits or anything being for certain conditions. So when people go in, and as you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of Canadians who are self-medicating, the staff at the dispensaries legally cannot speak to medical Mm -hmm. benefits. So that's something where, you know, having this tested regulated product is a great jumping off point, but we need to be able to have people feel comfortable, you know, talking with medical professionals, including pharmacists and doctors that know about cannabis as well. So it's expanding into Manitoba. When does that begin? Has it already begun? It has already begun, yes. So people will have access to a variety of products from different licensed producers, which is something that's really important to Canadian patients. Um, not everything works for everyone. So having choices and, and yeah, doing some trial and error with the support of, of a community and of other you know medical practitioners is extremely important. Okay, and you can get more information at, medical, or at cannabis.shoppersdrugmart.ca. Ashley Brown has been our guest. She was having 150 to 180 seizures a month, but medical cannabis has helped reduce that. How many would you say you have now before we let you go? Uh, About 15 to 20 now a month, yeah. That's still a lot. Is it stressful to think about how many? Yeah, I think it is. And then you get up and you you go forward and you, you do the best you can every day. So be thankful for the wins. Well, that's a great way to stay positive, Ashley. Thank you very much for coming in. It's been a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.